morning, EBC. How are you guys doing? Good to see you all. Glad you are here with us. You may be wondering, what in the world is he showing there? What is he doing? If you have your Bibles, go with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we are going to dig in, uh, starting in verse 18, and uh, we've been in this series called Greater Than Everything, and we've been learning from God's Word about Jesus being supreme. What does that mean, that he's supreme in our lives, he's sufficient in our lives? And as I was studying this week, uh, and I was seeing what I was going to be teaching, on this week and just kind of flowing through this book, uh, I thought, you know, this is kind of like what Paul was, when he was speaking of this, it was like he was, especially when you understand the culture, Paul was, it was like he was poking at a hornet's nest a little bit. It was like he was, he was especially whenever you, when you disassemble their home, they get a little bit upset. Anybody ever been stung by a hornet, like by a hornet, not a wasp? Man, hornets are scary, aren't they? All right? And I, and I thought, I might need to preach in one of those bee suits here in just a second, all right? And you'll see why as we begin to dig in. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. Are you following me now? Okay. Are you getting it? All right? And then he goes on and he says this, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord is that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master that you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, it keeps going. There were no chapters and verses when this was written. It was written as a full letter. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Man, when I was reading that, I could feel my temperature rising whenever I was reading this. And just, there's a little bit of, and I was even thinking, this might be a good week to ask Pastor Randy to preach. I'll let him take this one, right? I'll let him take it, our executive pastor. There's something in here just enough to make everyone a little bit uncomfortable. It might even make you a little bit mad when you start reading through this, right? When, when there's just enough to kind of poke and prod at everyone in a little bit of a bit, uh, in a little bit, he says this. He starts off and he says, wives submit. And I was reading this this week and I was like, I, I can feel the wings begin to flutter a little bit, right? Or, or then he goes on and he says, husbands, love your wives, and there may be some men that are, that are like, man, I love my wife. They know that I love them, you know, and he's going he's gonna to get at that just a little bit. Children obey. The teenagers might start getting mad a little bit, right, as they start hearing this. Then he says, slaves, obey. What in the world is he talking about here? Is he back to talking about the wives? Is that what he's talking about here? That's a joke. It's a joke. You'll get it on your way home, okay? He's not, all right? What is Paul talking about here? And I thought I might need a bee suit. Whenever I come out to speak today, but in all seriousness, you have to admit that when you just kind of insert yourself, if you haven't been here over the course of these weeks, and maybe this is your first time to show up, this could be a little bit of a tough passage. Like, what in the world is Paul saying here? What, what is he talking about? And it's one of those passages, you might even be a little bit tempted as a preacher just to kind of pass over that hornet's nest. 
Man, I don't want to poke and prod with that. I'm going to let the executive pastor preach this. By the way, I told Pastor Randy, I said, I got it this week. You're welcome, okay? But in all seriousness, it's one of the reasons I do love to preach through books of the Bible. I love to go through books of the Bible and kind of take it as we go through these books because one of the things that it challenges us to do is to deal with some of the difficult passages, And to really kind of dig in and try to understand what's being said here. We've said from the the beginning of our church, but I've really placed an emphasis this year that we want to not just make church members. That's not what Jesus called us to do. We're called to make disciples. Ones that follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And how are you going to grow in your progression as a believer? It's going to be by digging into God's Word, understanding the Word of God, letting that impact your life. It's not going to come through the personality of a preacher. It's not going to come through, through uh, our programming, although I believe we have good programming. The Word of God is what transforms lives. In fact, Paul said in chapter 3, verse 16, last week, he said this, Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Remember, we've been learning about the supremacy of Christ and and that in in the Colossian church where this church had been planted, there were those that were challenging the personhood of Jesus. They were challenging the deity of Jesus. They were challenging the humanity of Jesus. And Paul is going to address this and he's going to begin to speak about this message of the gospel and the message of Christ, and he's going to really deal with this. He says, let it fill your lives individually. But what I'm going to show you that he's going to point to now is let it fill your lives as a family. Let it begin to impact your family. He says, in all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Let God's word begin to do the work in our lives individually, but as individuals, many of us were made up of families. And we have people who are in our lives. He's saying, in essence, this, that now that Christ is in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, Rome is not supreme, and I'll explain that in a minute. Rome is not supreme, Jesus is supreme. Now that you identify yourself as someone who follows Jesus, let me tell you what Paul is saying, start to act like it. Start to live your life in a manner that Christ is impacting your life and the manner in which you live. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that our lives, the way in which we live, now that Christ indwells those of us who are believers, our life is is the best portrait of what God looks like because Jesus is God and Jesus lives in us. And if you want to live your life, he's saying, show other people what God is like by the manner in which you live. And now he's saying... This should begin to impact your relationships. This is what your relationships should begin to impact. Now, when you deal with a challenging passage like this, there are a few responses you could have. You can just skip it. Like I said a second ago, we'll just skip it. We'll go on to something that's a little easier to preach. I'll just go to something else, just pass the buck to someone else. I'll avoid that possible hornet's nest. Or you can just, here's your second thing, you could just reject it. And just say, I don't think I like what Paul's saying here. I'm going to reject this and I'm just going to kind of cherry pick what I like in the Bible. And, and that can get a little dangerous because now we're, we're questioning the authority of God's word in our life. And, and, and that's what a lot of people will do. You can do something else. There's a third thing. You can proof text it. And here, let me explain that. That is where some preachers will take a passage. They'll skip some of the more difficult stuff. 
they'll come up with a message of their own and they'll take a few passages and kind of use that to kind of undergird their own message. That's called, in preacher language, that's called eisegesis, where you're reading into the text rather than what we should be doing is called exegesis. We are pulling out the text. We take the text, we pull out the meaning, we apply it in our lives. That's important for us to understand. That's what we want to do, okay? Now here's what we want to do. Here's the fourth thing you could do. You can look behind the text. You begin to really begin to understand what was Paul writing about? Why did he say this? Did he just drop this in just arbitrarily? Was there a purpose that he was writing this for? Who was it written to? When they were hearing, what was their response? And we begin to understand from some of these timeless truths. Now it's our objective as your pastors, we want to always pull behind the text. We want to try to explain it to you. We want to teach it to you so you understand where Paul is coming from. In this passage, although it could potentially be like a hornet's nest, the kind of poke and prod and the home life of people, I want you to know, and you're going to begin to see this, but when you begin to unfold this and understand it, it is a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's beautiful because you're going to see uh, that, that it is cutting edge and it's revolutionary what Paul is saying, the way that the faith that we have in Christ should impact our relationships, our relationships specifically in the home. Remember this, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that a few weeks ago we said that there was this church was planted by a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras was impacted by Paul. He poured Christ into Epaphras. Epaphras goes back to his home area in Colossae. He plants a church there and in Hierapolis and in another area uh, of Laodicea. There's three churches that have been planted. They would take a letter like this and they would send it out and they would read it publicly in their house church. They would talk about it. What does this mean? This is what Paul is saying to us. Now there was something that Paul is going to get at and Paul is going to poke and prod at the hornet's nest. What is that hornet's nest? It's something that we learned about a few weeks ago called the Via Romana. Remember the Via Romana means literally the way of the Roman. This is how they lived. This is what they embraced. And it all revolved around, what did it revolve around? Self. You elevate self. Self is at the pinnacle of everything. Do everything you can. It's all about your own pride and your own self. And Paul is going to begin to poke at that and he's going to say, no, whenever you come to faith in Christ, you want to embrace something that's called the via crucis. What is the via crucis? It is the way of the cross. That's learning to die to self. And, it's, and he's saying, your world does not orbit around you anymore, believer. Your world orbits around Jesus. He is supreme in your life. Now, Paul is, is, is confronting the Via Romana in the context of their relationships. Now, let me give you some more context. I love history. And when you begin to understand some of the history of what was going on in this time, it's going to illuminate this passage for you even more. Remember this. They were, the town of Colossae was under Roman rule. It was under the Roman Empire. And people often looked to Rome, who was the world power at the time, they looked to Rome to be the anchor for their life. It was what they looked to, and there was a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. If you've read the Christmas story, you've heard his name. And Caesar Augustus uh, was seeking to, to take Rome to, to new levels, and so he implemented something that's called the Pax Romana. And I'm giving you some history today because it's rich. 
The Pax Romana literally means the peace of Rome. And so he was going to further the Roman Empire by putting in place the Pax Romana in a number of different ways. The Pax Romana was if you would comply with Rome, then you would experience peace in your life because Rome was supreme. And Paul is saying, no, it's not. Jesus is supreme. So here's what the Pax Romana looked like. It would provide you security. It provided security, and it provided security by them implementing the, the most powerful military that had ever existed in the history of the world. And so they would, they would force others to comply with the peace of Rome. If you didn't comply, it was not peaceful for you. So they provided security for the Roman citizens and for the nation of uh, this Roman Empire. It also uh, was something that would supply prosperity. This was what Augustus was getting at. Security and prosperity, an economic system where people would get rich. And what Paul is doing is he is attacking this. He is poking at this. He's saying, no, Rome is not supreme. In fact, in chapter 3, he would say, instead of it being the peace of Rome, he would say in chapter 3, to those of us who are believers, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. You remember that? Let the peace of Christ, not the peace of Rome, Rome is not supreme. Jesus is. That is what Paul is saying. Now, there was, a, there, uh, there was something that, uh, that Paul was doing. He's shaking things up. He's stirring up the nest. Now he's going to deal with the family. Now he's going to deal with the household. Why is he going to begin to go in this direction of dealing with the family? What, what does this look like? That's because there was another part of this Pax Romana that was, was put in place by Caesar Augustus, and it was, this was a third component of it. It was order. It was order, and he was going to bring about a highly structured order to Rome that was going to be coming through the family unit. And this was mandated. It was not suggested. It was law. And this view of the household looked very different from what we, in our American way of thinking, the household might look like. If you were to talk about stereotypical kind of, of families or whatever, especially kind of back in the 50s, you know, this was kind of what it looked like. Some of you may know what I'm talking about here. Y'all remember that? You've got, the, you've got the husband, you have the wife, and she's always, always dressed up. He's always wearing a suit, right? We know that's how all of our families are. Yeah, there's no dysfunction at all, right? Okay, they've got the Labrador, they've got the minivan. That's kind of the mentality, right? This is what the American kind of family, uh, no matter what ethnicity I'm talking about here, I'm just giving you one example here, okay? All right, and we know that that has dramatically changed over the last 50 years here in America. Uh, and, and we may have seen it that way at one time, but you need to know Caesar did not see it like this. It was not like that at all. His view was the family was in place to bring order to Rome as a whole. And it was comprised of four categories. There were husbands, there was a wife, there was a children, there were children, there were slaves, and all of this was was provided order by codes and laws and rules on how a household was to function. You say, why are you giving us this, Bart? It was ordered and you did not mess with this order. And this is what Paul is doing. He's stirring up a hornet's nest, not just in the families, but in the culture. 
he is having the courage to address some things that were not right. And you say, well, what did it look like? What did the family dynamic look like in this culture? Well, let's just kind of begin to break that down. You had, first of all, you had what was called the pater familias. The pater familias was the head of the household. He had absolute control. He was in charge without challenge. He had all rights, all property and possessions belonged to him. Archaeologists tell us about the pater familias, that many of these households were multi-level, and that on the upper level, this is where he would live and everyone else would dwell underneath him. It wasn't just, uh, I think it was probably very metaphorical as well because this was how he lived. These were the first man caves that we know about, okay? They probably had neon beer signs in them at some point, okay? But, but this, this was a, I know some of you men, as we begin to talk about this, you're thinking, I like the way this sounds, preacher, or whatever. And some of you ladies are thinking, yeah, I've got a place for you to go. I have a place for you to go. And it's called the doghouse, right? Okay? But he was the only one, I'm just wanting you to get this. He was the only one with rights. Ladies, there there were no rights for women at this point. This was the culture that they lived in. He decided, this this is incredible here. He decided who lived and who died. He had total control. You say, what do you mean? A woman would get pregnant, she would have a baby, they would bring the baby to the pater familias, and he would decide if that child was allowed to live or not. He had absolute authority. If the child had a disability, if there was something he didn't like about it, if he didn't want another child, then they would oftentimes take that child and they would discard that child outside the city gates or wherever and they would allow that child to die or they would sell that child into slavery. This was was the world that they lived in. It was brutal, a brutal world. No value of human life whatsoever. He was in complete control. He was protected by numerous laws. The, the spouse, his wife, his children were his possessions. If he wanted to sell a child, he would sell a child. If he wanted a child to die, the child would die. For children, what did it look like? It wasn't the environment that we think of in our culture today where our families are supposed to be places where children are nurtured and they are loved and they are brought up in proper manner, right? It has been said about the Roman culture in this culture that that 50% of the children who were born in Rome would die before the age of 10. It was such a brutal place for kids to be raised. Children were viewed as future laborers and contributors to the household. They truly espoused this mentality. They espoused this, that if you don't like it, kids, we'll take you out and make another one that looks just like you. And we joke about that today, but that was the mentality, is that you were were treated harshly. There was no sense of protection for children, no sense of protecting their emotional needs, no sense of developing them uh, mentally and emotionally. Physical, mental, and sexual abuse was very, very prevalent in this culture because there was no protection for, for children. The pater familias ruled his wife and his children and his servants with an iron fist. This was 
the Roman family. And when he's talking about slaves, what is going on here? Is Paul endorsing slavery here? All right, what's happening? This was not a racial slavery that we may think of in our North American history that came about. This is the slavery that would come through the empire's conquest of other nations around them. They would go in, conquer them, and bring back people with them who uh, didn't matter what race they were. They would bring them back and they would be slaves. So slavery was also very prevalent in this culture. Uh, More than 50% of the population were slaves. More than 50%. There was one senator at one point that said, I want us to be able to identify who all the slaves are. And the other senators said, no way, we can't do that. Once they begin to look around and they begin to see how many slaves there are, they will overthrow us. There will be an uprising. So they vetoed that. We're not going to do that. But this was, this was, slavery was common. This was in the culture. Paul is not endorsing this. He's addressing something that was happening in the culture, okay? And, and if you could sell a child into slavery if you couldn't pay your bills. You could sell yourself into slavery if you couldn't pay your bills. Slaves were treated terribly. If you think about how the wife and children were treated, you can only imagine how slaves were treated. They were abused. They were starved. They They were beaten, they were chained, never treated with dignity as a human being. You were viewed as the lowest of the low. Now that is your picture of the Roman family. You thought your family had dysfunction, right? Man, that's messed up, isn't it? And Paul is addressing this. Paul is beginning to deal with this. You say, Bart, why are you bringing up all this history and context? Folks, I want you to understand what Paul was dealing with with these Colossians, these families who had been immersed in this kind of society, and now they were Christians. Now Jesus was the center of their life. Now Christ, Paul is saying, is supreme, and Rome, the Via Romana, is not. Paul is calling them to abandon the Via Romana and embrace the Via Crucis, the way of the, cro- of the cross. What does the way of the cross look like? It looks like a death to self, dying to self. Now he's going to begin to just challenge this. And he's, he's been saying this, uh, you know, he's poking the hornet's nest. As, and, and so what does it mean as he begins to poke this next, uh, this nest here? Paul is, it knows what he's up against in this Roman culture. And you see in our society today, when we, when we read this and maybe it's not explained, it's easy to see how women could get upset whenever you don't fully understand the context of what Paul is writing. And, and oftentimes a woman might get upset and those wings might begin to flap a little as that, as that hornet getting mad, right? Because, the, because it's, it's beginning to poke and prod a little, especially in our current culture with the time's up and the Me Too stuff you know, that's happening. And, but when this letter was being read aloud in this house church, You need to understand that it was the men who were having their world rocked. That this was earth-shattering news to them. I'm sure many of them did not like what they were hearing. They did not appreciate what Paul was saying. Here's something that I just want you to get. This is a beautiful thing. 
that whenever Christianity begins to take root in the lives of people in the manner in which we are to live it out, it is our faith that is progressive. It is our faith that began to liberate women. It's our faith that began to liberate people in slavery. It's beautiful when you begin to understand that it's the Christian faith that begins to address some of these injustices. Now, has it been done perfectly throughout our history? No, it is not. But when you get back to the biblical root of this, Paul is challenging this. If you study Scripture, ladies, if you begin to study this, you'll realize that there is nobody who treated women with more dignity and respect and value than Jesus Christ. When you begin to look and see how he treated women and how he elevated, Jesus always elevated women. Jesus always valued them. He raised their status. Read about him in the Gospels. And you begin to hear this, that he treated them with dignity. Paul is not, what you'll see is, he is not devaluing women in this passage. Paul doesn't have a problem with women. On the contrary, Paul is challenging the men. He's challenging the men in this culture in a revolutionary way to begin to view those who are in his home differently. He's elevating the level of women. He's elevating the level of children. He's elevating even the manner in which you treat those who might be slaves if you were a slave owner at this time. Well, how do we know that Paul is elevating these? Well, if you were were to read some other passages of Scripture in the New Testament, here's what we know. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. There were two other letters that he wrote that likely went out the door nearly at the same time. One is the book of Ephesians. And it's going to deal with, parallel with some of the same kinds of things. We'll look in a second at some of those passages and how they parallel with what we're reading today. And the other one was a book by the name of Philemon. Philemon was written to a guy who, Philemon, who was a slave owner and just so happened this slave owner, do you know where he was a slave owner at? In Colossae. He was a slave owner in Colossae, and he had a slave that had run away named Onesimus. How do we know Paul is elevating these people? Because Paul is going to challenge Philemon to not view. Onesimus became a believer in Jesus Christ when he met Paul, and he's going to begin. Paul is going to say to Philemon now, Paul is going to say, you do not treat him like a slave anymore. You are to treat him like a fellow brother in Christ. So you see how he elevates He's elevating these who are in these these places, right? These books are all harmonious. Paul's going to say to these Christians in Colossae in chapter 3, the risen life that you now have in Jesus, just to recap, last week, it's going to give you a new position in Christ, a new presence, and that's his presence in your life, a new power, resurrection power to to live differently, a new progression. You're going to begin to grow and look more like Jesus, a new priority. What did we discover that priority was? It's love over everything else, a new partnership. He's going to begin to attack some of the racial divisions and some of the divisions that happen, and he's going to say, no, you're partners in Jesus. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. This is what Paul is going to say in that partnership. And then he's going to say, you're going to have a new purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God in the way that we live. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Act like you're a believer and your life will point people to Jesus and show people what God is like. Now, here's here's your note for today. Okay, if you're taking notes, you have all of those things right there, but here's what the, risen, the risen life provides. It's a new pattern. 
A new pattern for our families. A new pattern that was different than than the way they understood the family. And he starts with wives here. And he honestly, he has the least amount to say to the wives. Do you know why? Because many of them were already submitting. They were forced into it. And they were treated very poorly. And so he's just going to say, what I want to say to the wives here is he's going to say, continue to submit to your husbands, but he's going to say now, the heart of your submission is going to change. It's not because you're forced into this. Now he's going to say, recognize their authority in your life because Jesus is now in your life. He's going to begin to address this. Now, now let me just talk about, when we say this word submission, we've made it into an ugly word in our society because it has been abused in our society. Men have not treated women uh, in good ways throughout our history, uh, again, and, and that's been very common. But when we use this word, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first, okay? When he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as is one who, as is one who is in Christ, fitting to the Lord, those who belong to the Lord, it doesn't mean this. Okay, this word submission, it doesn't, this isn't a word that is for single people. It's not for those uh, women who are here who are single and not in a married relationship there. He's not saying as if all women should submit themselves to all men. This is not what is being said. This was written to these wives. It's not about a dating relationship, ladies. It's not that, and I want you to understand, well, I'll give you an example. My daughter, she's 16 years old. And she has, I call him her friend boy, okay? She has a friend boy, and he's in our church, and he's a great kid. His parents were in the first service this morning, and they were going, oh no, what is he about to say? What is he about to say? All right? But, but here, is, here is what I want my daughter to understand, is that he is not her husband. He's not her husband. I am still the authority in her life. I'm still the covering over her until I take uh, her hand and his hand and put them together and give my blessing to that, and I step back. I'm the authority in her life, and her mother is the authority in her life. And here's the, here's the, so in the dating relationship, young ladies, listen to me. You don't have to do everything that that young man tells you to do. All right? In fact, I want all of you young ladies to hear, I'm going to clue you in on a secret. Are you ready? Here's what it is. Boys are evil. They're evil. <laughs> They're evil. And all the, they are sinners. They are sinners. And all the fathers of daughters said with me, amen. amen. All right. All right. Amen. All right. They are sinners. You say, Pastor Boy, I even have a son, so I can say it, all right? And he is a sinner. I'm telling you that right now. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm a boy, if you didn't realize that. And I'm a sinner. I'm letting you know. There were people that I went to high school that were in the last service with me, and they're like, we know the dirt on you, dude, all right? And, and, and it is, so I'm wanting you to understand this is not for this is not men and women here. This is husbands and wives. He's talking about. By the way, if you have a a, a woman who is your boss, men, that, that 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 she's your boss, and you pull this verse out, I'm telling you right now, you're getting fired. Okay, you are going to get fired. All right. This does not say also that a wife, my wife, is to be submissive to other men. It doesn't say that says, be submissive to your own husband, your own husband. Now, now that's notwithstanding for maybe there is an authority that is in her life. My wife is a teacher and she has a principal who is her authority and he is a male. Now she does submit to him, but it's not because he's male. It's because he's in a place of authority. Okay. And, and, and that's not, and just like I would submit to my authority in that. 
okay? It's not about the male or female here. This doesn't say that, okay? It doesn't say this. I'm going to rock your world, all right? Because I know some of you, maybe you kind of grew up with this or whatever, but it does not say wives obey your husbands. It said children obey your parents. If he wanted to use the word obey, you need to know the Greek language is very specific, And he did not use that word right there. He used the word for submit. If Paul wanted to say obey, he would have put it right there, but he didn't. You say, well, what does that mean whenever we, when we say this, you know, therefore should your husband seek to lead you wives into things that are not God's plan and contrary to God's word, you are not expected to blindly follow your husband into sin. You are under the Lord. And when your husband steps out of that place where he should be in, in leadership and, he begins, and, and he's trying to lead you into sin, you are to not obey your husband, you are to obey Christ. He is the authority in your life, okay? Now, you submit to your husband because Jesus said, submit, and we'll, we'll explore this a little bit. It's not about, I want every woman to hear this. This is, this is counter-cultural in this time. It is not, when he says this, about being less valuable. It is not about being less competent. It is not about being inferior. It is not about being less intellectual. How many of you husbands realize that your wife is smarter than you? Raise your hands. All the smart husbands are raising their hands. My wife is far superior in intellect than me. I'm telling you this. She graduated uh, from college, uh, summa cum laude. I graduated, praise the laude. I'm just letting you know, okay? (laughs) She is far superior intellectual than I am in intellect. She is far competent in other areas. But isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ is that all of us are good at some things. We're not all good at everything. And we've been, we've been made to complement one another and to have weaknesses and strengths and, and roles. That is not an ugly or dirty thing that has been trying to be made in this society today. We are different. We're different. So I want you to understand, I want you to understand, ladies, that Christianity came along. I'm wanting you to hear this and valued you. It was revolutionary what was going on and being said. You are valued. You are smart. You mean something. Here's another part. It's not demanded. Woman, submit. Yeah, let me know how that works out for you, sir. (laughs) It's not demanded, right? Something I've learned. I, by the way, I, tr- I tried that early on in our marriage. There's this passage. You're supposed to submit to me, right? Or whatever. That, that didn't go over very well. I had hair back then. I'm just letting you know. And it's, it's all gone. She pulled it out. By the way, I've learned in 47 years of life, if you have to tell people around you that you are in charge, you are not in charge. Leadership comes by the way that you live. There are times to begin to speak things, but, but, but listen, respect is earned. It's not demanded. It's earned. Here's what it also doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't have a voice in decisions. 
I have learned, I've been married for 26 years, and I've learned that whenever I have tried to wing it and go on my own without talking to my wife about decisions, and I mean all decisions, I'm talking about decisions, things that impact us financially, things, when I've, when I've done that, I have messed up in a big way. And I've made some mistakes there. In fact, I just very quickly, um, right after we planted EBC, over 18 years ago, I didn't know how to pastor. I didn't know what I was doing. And my roommate from college called me up. I did know how to plant a church. And he called me up and he said, he said, Bart, he said, I'm planting churches in North Africa. We're reaching Muslims for Christ. I need church planners. Will you come? Man, my adventure side was like, this is awesome. I feel called. Man, I'm leaving this church, all right? And uh, I'm going to go do this And back this 18 years ago, right? And, and so I'm getting ready to go. I, I, I'm excited. And uh, I forgot I had a wife and a son at that time, okay? And, uh, and, and, and so I, we go to our interview. And I just had kind of mentioned it to Hope uh, about this. And, and she was like, let me just say, Hope did not feel the same calling I was feeling, Okay. <laughs> And we went into the interview, and I said, look, this is what we're, this is what we're feeling. This is kind of the direction we're feeling. And, and I started doing my best to know what I know how to do. Is I'm selling this to him, you know. And he said to my wife, he says, how do you feel about this? And she said, well, to be perfectly honest with you, he hasn't really discussed it very much with me. He's just kind of told me this is what we're doing. I was mad at that woman, all right? I'm telling you. <laughs> because she tanked the interview. And the guy looked at me and he said, you know, you really ought to discuss something like this with your wife. And if she's not called, son, you're not called. And I look back on this now. And again, I was mad at her at the time. But do you know what I know? I've learned to ask her and to include her in every decision because I've learned this. I can even look back on that example Do you realize my friend who was calling me to do this, he died on the mission field not long after that, tragically. EVC might not be here today if I would have just winged it and just gone and did my own thing. The church may have died. It might not have, but it, it very likely would have. I've learned to listen, to discuss, to talk. Do you see? Here's what I want to tell you. She is in tune, men. They are oftentimes more in tune with the Holy Spirit in certain areas that I'm just going to say sometimes we are not. They have sensitivities in areas that many times we do not. And I've learned to listen. It's a wise man who listens to the voice of her wife. And you need to know that this was not happening back in Colossae. Here's the other thing submission does not mean. It does not mean that you are to subject yourself or your children to any form of abuse. Amen? Right? You are not to subject yourself to physical, mental, sexual abuse. You are not to keep yourself in harm's way. If your husband raises a hand to you, you walk out the door, you get you and your child or your children in a safe place, and you allow your church family and the proper authorities to come alongside you and to help you. Jesus Christ never raised a hand to a woman. He always defended them. He always stood in the gap for them and he always loved them and he elevated them. He never spoke harshly to a woman. You will find him being tender with them because of the manner in which they were treated back in this time. So what does this mean then, Bart? 
You've said all the things that it doesn't. Here's what it means. This is all about an attitude of respect. It's a respect for who he is and the position that he didn't even ask for. The position that God himself has placed him in, in a place of spiritual leadership. And and so men, what does that say to us? We're called by God to lead, right? We're called by God to lead. There are two words that I think of when I read this passage that will emerge. Go back and look at it yourself. That really the theme of this, and here's what they are. Are you ready? Love and respect. And they are a cycle that feeds one another in that relationship. You show love, you gain respect. You show respect, you gain love. Are you with me? Right? That's what he's getting at here. This this is rocking their world, I'm telling you. It, It wasn't done like this. Ladies, it's recognizing that God, in his economy, has set the family up with the intent of a husband. And I know it's not like that all the time. And I know that this is a broken world. And I know divorces happen. And I know, and if, and if your husband's not a part of this, then you are to be that spiritual leader. Okay? So don't think that I'm excluding you. But here's, here's what it's saying. It's saying he's, I, that God has set up an economy of, of, a, of, a, of a headship here. Right? What we would say is this. Is that there is a singular headship but there is a plurality of leadership, all right? That's how this church is set up. By the way, I am not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, amen? And we have a plurality of leadership, and we submit to one another. Ladies, Jesus is your example. Think about this with me, okay? Jesus is your example uh, as he submitted to the Father. Were the Father and Jesus equal? Yes. They were equal. But there were places throughout the Gospels where Jesus would submit to the headship of the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he would say, not my will be done, your will be done, Father. All this is boiling down to is what we call dying to self. The via crucis. Dying to self. I like to think of it like this. If I had my family up here, I would not be over them. My wife would be standing at the same level at the foot of the cross as I am. My kids are standing at the same level as the foot of the cross that I am. I would take my wife's hand and I wouldn't be dragging them to come with me. I would not be on this side of them driving them. I would be in hand in hand with my wife and I would say, come with me as I seek to lead our family with Jesus as the center of our family. Come with me. Will you walk with me? Let's bring our kids alongside with me. That's the beauty of what is happening here. He is disassembling the paterfamilias. And he's going to begin to say, look at Ephesians 5. i got to hurry, okay? I want to, I want to give you another passage. Remember, the, the letters went out at the same time. Here's what he says in Ephesians 5.21. Ladies, what he's saying is now you're not submitting to him because of rule of law over you, 
There's a spirit change that happens in your heart. Now Christ rules you. Ephesians 5, 21. And further, he says, let's read this out loud together. Say it out loud, all of us. Submit to one another. Whoa. What's he saying here? Submit to one another out of reverence for Caesar? No. Christ. There are many times I submit to my wife. Say, well, you don't wear the pants. Yeah, I wear the pants. But here's the deal. I've learned how smart that woman is, how valuable she is, how wise she is. There's sometimes we disagree about maybe what we're going to do with one of our kids. There are many times I've learned not out of passivity, but I've learned to defer to her because she has a sensitivity to them in some ways that I don't get. There have been times she's been wrong. And I have not held it over her head and say, see, you should have followed me. There have been a lot more times I have been wrong. (laughs) And she has not held it over my head. Why? Because we are a team. We complement one another. Then he says, for wives, what does that look like for you? Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband, see, here's, here's where I was getting this a minute ago, is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Remember, this is about respecting him, respecting the position. It's been said that respect is the number one thing that men need in their relationship with the woman that they are in a relationship with. I know some of you would say, no, it's something else. I would tell you that it is respect. That when a man feels respected, he is more inclined to love. When he, when he, when, and when a woman is loved, the way that this word love means, she is more inclined to show respect. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Well, what, he doesn't deserve respect. He won't lead our family, or he's a terrible person. He doesn't deserve to be respected. You know what I've learned? None of us deserve any of what we have from Christ. Let me promise you this, you will never nag or control him into being your spiritual leader, ladies. Peter says it this way, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands because what he's talking about right before that is that we are to submit to our authorities and the Roman emperor was not a good authority. But Peter is saying we need to submit to our authorities. And he goes on and he says, for his husband is that, oh, excuse me, um, then even if some of these husbands refuse to obey the good news, wives, your godly lives will speak to them, say it with me, ladies, without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Peter is using the same kind of language that we talked about last week, the put on, put off. He's talking about what, is, what do you put on? Paul said tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. He's saying put that on. He goes on, he says, put this on. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the 
Well, first, I read that fast. Which is so precious to whom? God. Don't let that get by you. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. But again, I go back and say this was the game changer for men because in chapter 5, verse 21 of Ephesians, he says, submit to each other. Submit, die to self. Die to self, wives, is what he's saying. And then to the husbands, he's going to say to the guy who holds all the power in this culture, die to yourself. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. You see, if you had a man who was the paterfamilias, and he actually loved you, you had something that was rare, ladies. You were lucky. Many marriages were arranged, and women were primarily there to give birth to sons. Paul is not propping up their authority. No, he is challenging them, and he's saying, I want to rock your world. I want to tell you to do something. Love that woman. Love her. He's going to say, husbands, Jesus is now in your life. You're not supposed to live via Romana. Die to self. The word he uses for love is not the word we would use like, man, I love pizza. You're hungry right now, right? Okay. It's this word, agape. And agape, they all understood was this, you are not to treat them as subjects, you are to treat them as co-heirs in Christ, the same level, and it literally means keep on loving. Keep on loving. Don't ever stop, which means, and I've been married 26 years now, you gotta keep working at it. Cultivate it. Work. It's not gonna come naturally for us as men sometimes. The word agape was all giving, it was not taking. If he wanted it to be give and take, he would have used phileo, that's give and take. If he wanted it to be all take, he would have used eros. He doesn't use eros, he uses agape. And you know what agape is? All giving. Unconditional, sacrificial love. Well, my wife never shows any respect. I'm not going to show her any love until she respects me. I believe that just as you're in this place of leadership, husband, as Jesus was head to the church, Jesus, do you remember his example? When they were in the upper room, feet needed to be washed. Nobody would do it. Jesus initiated and he began the cycle of love. I feel like it is our responsibility as husbands to begin the cycle. It says, Christ loved us first. So just as the wife is to die to self, husbands, we are to die to self equally. Last passage, okay? What does it look like? Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Go read that. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And let's say this out loud, men. Read it with me out loud, all right? I know it's late, but say it with me. He gave up his life for her. 
I know a lot of men would say, I would die for that woman. I'll die for her. There will be nobody that will hurt that woman. That's the protector in you. But I want to ask you this. Will you die to self for her every day? Not just a one-time thing. Will you die to self for her? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife, he actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. Men, if we will love our wives like Christ loves us. I'm not promising you that every woman and that that woman will show you utter respect. But you know what I found in many years of ministry is a man that will love his wife selflessly like that in many and in most cases, we'll see a cycle of love and respect begin in that relationship. I've, I've met very few women who don't want to be loved and cherished in that way. Where they are loved, where it's, where when they hear love, what they're he hearing is, don't just make me your lover, although that is part of it, but I want to be your best friend. I want you to be that rock in my life my confidant, not someone that has to fix every problem, but someone who listens to me, someone that values me, someone that partners with me, and we're in this together. That's what he's saying to us men. Kids, you are lucky. We are out of time today, all right? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Thank you for letting me go a little bit longer. Husbands, how can you be more loving? Here's what I want to challenge you to do. You say, how does this play out? I challenge you, go out on a date with your wife. Go out on a date and ask her, how can I show you that kind of love? Go read 1 Corinthians 13. Let her talk. Listen. Don't get prideful. She may tell you something you don't want to hear even. Die to self. Wives, in that same date, maybe you want to ask, how can I show you more respect? Do you feel respected by me? Let him talk. Listen to him. This is all about dying to self. Self is going to want to rise up in that moment. Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how revolutionary this is. We pray for the marriages and the homes that are in Eagles View and in our community. Lord, we want our lives to point people to Jesus. None of us are perfect. All of our families have dysfunction. Father, would you teach us more every day as believers how Christ is supreme in our lives and how he is supreme in our families? Would you teach us as husbands to lead our families? We're not perfect. Give us humble hearts. Would you teach those who are wives here today 
how to show respect to their husbands, how to speak well of their husbands. Lord, I pray that a cycle of love and respect would begin in our homes where there is none for many. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing to him.